Hello everyone and welcome to the fasting practice. I'm John Mark. I'm Christian. And I'm Yinka. And it is our delight to introduce you to this ancient practice of fasting. For over a thousand years, fasting was a core practice from the way of Jesus. Up until very recently, most disciples of Jesus fasted twice a week, every Wednesday and Friday. This was pretty much standard for Christians until the Enlightenment, when Western culture began to emphasize the mind over the body. And since the Western world has become more and more disembodied, we need practices that get our bodies in touch with God. Fasting does just that. Now, one of the reasons we call this a practice rather than a spiritual discipline is because a lot of people equate the word spiritual with non-material. But the practices are something we do with our whole person, including our bodies. In the New Testament, Paul writes that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place of God. Practices like fasting aim to get us back in touch with our bodies and let them become a home for God. Like me, this practice will likely be new to many of you. And I'll be real, it might be hard at first. But let me tell you, if you push through, if you practice, you'll find a freedom and a joy in God that surpasses even the pleasure of good food. Over the next four sessions, our plan is to introduce you to four major reasons for fasting, as well as guide you step by step into this ancient practice. But before we begin, a practice like fasting may stir up all sorts of thoughts and feelings. So we open each week in triads, small groups of three or so people, ideally with the same gender, that you stay in conversation with over the four weeks of this practice. Take a few minutes to break into triads and talk through the following three questions. Number one. Is fasting a new practice for you in your discipleship? What experience do you have with it so far? Number two, what fears or questions do you have as you begin practicing fasting? And number three, what would you love to see God do in your life or your community through this practice? Take a few minutes to discuss. I love to eat. At this stage in my life with three teenagers and a full-time job, I have very little free time. Margin is mostly an aspirational ideal. But in the little I have, one of my favorite pastimes is cooking for our family and community. Homemade sourdough pizza is my specialty. And I've spent most of my adult life in Portland, Oregon, one of the great food cities of the world, arguably where the term foodie was coined. So it comes as no surprise that I'm far more comfortable feasting than fasting. And yet, I'm an apprentice of Jesus. An apprentice of Jesus is one whose entire life is organized around three basic goals. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to live as he did. To apprentice under Jesus is to adopt his overall lifestyle, to arrange your life around the practices and way of being that Jesus himself did in order to open up your whole life to God to transform you from the inside out. 
and Jesus feasted. It was said of Jesus that, quote, he came eating and drinking. He left us with bread and wine to remember him by and a table to center our life around. But Jesus also fasted. He began his ministry with 40 days of fasting in the wilderness. When the devil tempted him to eat, he said, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And all through the biographies of Jesus, we read stories of him fasting. And yet today, most Christians feast, but very few fast. We conducted a survey of our church recently, and about half of our community had never fasted a single day in their life, and less than 2% fasted on a weekly basis. If fasting is not a part of your discipleship to Jesus, you are not alone. Fasting has basically disappeared from modern Christian spirituality in the West. You are more likely to hear about fasting from a fitness guru, wellness expert, or Muslim than from a Christian. Not to mention, many Western people have a deeply unhealthy relationship to food and to their own body. Just the idea of fasting is a trigger for many of body shame or an ongoing struggle with an eating disorder. Most people don't want anything to do with fasting. And yet, what if we are missing out on one of the most important of all the practices of Jesus? Turn in your Bibles to Matthew 6. Let's read an excerpt from the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew's collection of the most important teachings of Jesus in one place. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Notice two things. One, Jesus assumes that his disciples will practice fasting. Verse 16, when you fast, not if you fast. Two, when you fast, the Father, quote, will reward you, meaning there is a gift waiting for you and me on the other side of fasting. But as I said, most followers of Jesus in the West do not fast, but we used to. Let me give you a brief history of fasting. Fasting is a part of every major religion in the world, including Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, and most indigenous spiritual practices. But the first mention in all of human history of fasting as a spiritual discipline is in the book of Exodus, with Moses' 40-day fast on Mount Sinai, which is followed by a command for all of Israel to fast on the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. Then there are stories of fasting all through the Old Testament. All the major characters fast, Moses, David, Samuel, Esther, and the prophets. By the time of Jesus, it was common practice for the Jewish people to fast twice a week until sundown. And the early Christians continued this practice. In the Didache, one of the first Christian writings we have outside the New Testament, fasting was commanded on Wednesdays and on Fridays until sundown and for two full days before baptism. Almost all of the church fathers teach on fasting. 
And the first Christians took it very seriously. One book from the fourth century called Constitutions of the Holy Apostles said this, If any one of the clergy be found to fast on the Lord's day or on the Sabbath day, excepting one only, let him be deprived. But if he be one of the laity, let him be suspended. Meaning, fasting was so widespread, they had to regulate it. No fasting on Saturdays or Sundays. The one only day the Constitutions is referring to here is the one exception to fasting on the Sabbath, Holy Saturday, which is the Sabbath between Good Friday and Easter. On that Sabbath, the entire church together would fast for the 40 hours between Jesus' death and resurrection to get in touch at a bodily level with Christ dying and rising. And Lent, the six weeks prior to Easter, was originally a fast where followers of Jesus would not eat until sundown each day. Ramadan in the Muslim tradition was later based on the Christian practice of Lent. Now, most church traditions today have changed Lent to the practice of abstinence, where you give up something for Lent. You give up TV or social media or wine, but originally it was a fast. My point is, early on in the history of the church, there were both regular one-day fasts every Wednesday and Friday and periodic longer fasts like Lent. This lasted for well over a millennia and a half before it started to die out. In the 18th century, John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, lamented, I fear there are now thousands of Methodists, so-called, both in England and Ireland, who, following the same bad example, have entirely left off fasting, who are so far from fasting twice a week that they do not fast twice in the month. You know who you are. Wesley fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays like the early Christians, and he refused to ordain any pastor to the ministry who did not do the same. Now, I'm not saying I agree. I'm saying followers of Jesus used to fast a lot. It was considered just as central to the way of Jesus as reading your Bible or going to church on Sunday. And it still is outside the West. Fasting is vigorously practiced by the Eastern streams of the church, such as the Eastern Orthodox, Coptic Christians in Egypt, the Dalit in India, in Iran, and especially in Africa, where entire churches often fast to begin the new year, a practice you actually continue to see in many African-American churches and immigrant communities here in the U.S. as one of the few examples of fasting in the West. My point is, Fasting is one of the most essential and powerful of all the practices of Jesus and arguably the single most neglected in the modern Western church. So many of the saints testify to the power of fasting. Listen to one example from St. Basil the Great. Fasting gives birth to prophets. She strengthens the powerful. Fasting makes lawgivers wise. She is a safeguard for the soul, a steadfast companion for the body, a weapon for the brave, and a discipline for champions. Fasting repels temptations, anoints for godliness. She is a companion for sobriety, the crafter of a sound mind. In wars, she fights bravely. In peace, she teaches tranquility.
the life of Jesus, the writings of scripture, the voice of the global church, and the teachings of the saints down through church history all say in chorus, fasting is essential and powerful. So let's cover the basics of fasting. First off, what is fasting exactly? Well, let's start with what it's not. It's not abstinence. I regularly hear people say they are fasting from shopping or social media, all great things to do. But that's not fasting, that's abstinence, which has a long and rich history in the church. It's also not a restricted diet. I regularly hear about a juice fast or the Daniel fast, where you eat a vegan diet for a few weeks. But in the story of Daniel, the word fast is never used. That's not a fast, it's a restricted diet, which also has a long and rich history in the church. Fasting is, at its most basic, not eating food. In a normal fast, you continue to drink water, but there are a few examples in Scripture of a fast from both food and water. How long is a fast? There's no set time. The most common fast is from waking until sundown, but there are examples in Scripture of two-day fasts, three-day, seven-day, 21-day, and 40-day fasts. When do you fast? Well, again, because fasting is never once commanded, that's up to you. In both scripture and in church history, we do see two different types of fasting, fasting as rhythm and as response. Fasting as rhythm, this would be fasting twice a week for most of church history, or fasting on Fridays in the Catholic tradition today. The only example of this in scripture is in the Old Testament where Israel is commanded to fast on Yom Kippur. But then you have fasting as response. Most of the examples of fasting in scripture are in response to a national crisis like an invasion or sin or to grief and loss, what the theologian Scott McKnight calls life's sacred moments. In 1 Samuel 31, when King Saul dies, the entire nation fasts for seven days. In Jonah 3, when Nineveh is warned of their coming destruction, the king calls for a citywide fast and the city is spared. In Esther 4, when the Hebrew people are threatened with genocide, Queen Esther calls for a three-day fast and they are saved. My point is, fasting is both a rhythm and a response. Do we fast in community or alone? Well, both. A lot of people misread Jesus' warning in Matthew 6 about fasting. He's not saying that fasting in community is wrong any more than prayer in community is wrong. He's saying that fasting as virtue signaling or performance or to show off your spirituality is wrong. Scripture is full of examples of the people of God fasting together. In fact, in the Old Testament, fasts were often called for or even commanded for the entire community, including children and even animals. Finally, we come to the most important question of all. Why do we fast? There are all sorts of reasons we fast. But to group them into four basic categories, we fast, one, to offer ourselves to Jesus, two, to grow in holiness, three, to amplify our prayers, and four, to stand with the poor. Over the course of this practice, we want to talk about all four reasons for fasting. But on the docket for week one is the heart of it, the most central reason of all, to offer ourselves to Jesus. As I said, the early Christians continued the Jewish practice of fasting twice a week until sundown. But what I did not mention was they changed the days. 
from Monday and Thursday in the Hebrew tradition to Wednesday and Friday. Why? Because Wednesday was the day Jesus was betrayed and Friday was the day he was crucified. The early disciples were getting in touch at a bodily primal level with what the New Testament writers call participating in the sufferings of Christ. They were intentionally adopting the pattern laid down by Jesus of dying and rising, death to self followed by life in God. Not out of hate of the body or some kind of Gnostic anti-pleasure impulse, but out of a burning desire for Jesus to be with him and become like him. This, this is the ultimate reason for fasting, hunger for Jesus himself. The Baptist preacher John Piper calls fasting whole body hungering for God. Think about it. What is hunger? Hunger is the feeling of wanting or needing something you do not have or desire more of. New Testament scholar Scott McKnight calls fasting body talk. It's a way of praying with your body, God, I hunger for you, I want you, I need you. Now, we may not feel hungry for God. If we're honest, we may feel apathetic about God. All the more reason to fast, as fasting has the potential to awaken the latent hunger within all souls for God. Fasting is, at the core, a practice to offer our whole life to God. I think of Paul's line in Romans chapter 12, In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Notice Paul's word choice. Offer your bodies, not just your heart. The word in Greek is soma, where we get the word somatic. It means your whole person, including your body. I grew up in a church tradition where much was said about giving your heart to Jesus, and that's beautiful. But he doesn't just call for our heart, but for all that we are. Part of the reason we emphasized the heart over the whole person in my church was because in the Western church overall, we've lost what Pope John Paul II called a theology of the body which put simply is the truth all through scripture that you don't have a body, you are a body. Or to be more precise, your body is a part of who you are. Jesus himself came in a body, a doctrine we call the incarnation, to save all of our body, a doctrine we call the resurrection. One day in the future at Jesus' return, what happened to Jesus' body will happen to the bodies of all his followers. We will be raised from death to life. In the meantime, our discipleship to Jesus must take seriously the body. The Apostle Paul famously said to the Corinthians, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Your body is a temple, a dwelling place for God. Therefore, what we do with the body, whether we honor or dishonor God, it matters. The body is the sphere where our discipleship to Jesus becomes real, where it's not just an idea or even a feeling, but a practice or what Jesus called a way of life. 
One way to think about discipleship is as a disciplined attempt to get the teachings of Jesus into your body itself, into your neurobiology or what we call muscle memory, so that when you are confronted with various situations, temptations, or you're cut off in traffic, or somebody criticizes you, Jesus' teachings just come out of you without you even thinking about it. And fasting is one of the best possible ways to get the teachings of Jesus into your body. And back to Romans 12, we offer our whole persons, including our bodies, to Jesus, quote, in view of God's mercy. Meaning we do this for him because of all he's done for us. We give up food because he gave up everything. We offer our body in devotion because he already gave us his for our salvation. We fast for all sorts of reasons, but this is the primary reason we fast. Not to get something from Jesus, but to give something to Jesus. What Paul calls worship, our love, affection, and devotion. To end, Jesus assumed his disciples would fast, but he never commanded fasting. Neither did the apostles in the New Testament. They all fasted, but they never laid down a regimen to follow. You don't have to fast. It's not required of you. But Jesus fasted, and then he said, come and follow me. Practices like fasting and prayer and Sabbath and more are how we follow Jesus, how we open our whole person to his grace to be transformed. It was not until I was in my mid-twenties that I first started to experiment with fasting. I remember, I think I was 24, and I was standing in line at a coffee shop, and we were gearing up to plant a church, and I had this thought come out of the blue into my mind, I should do a three-day fast before we start. And I would love to tell you that that three days was just heaven on earth. The heavens parted and it was me and Jesus. Honestly, the church plant went very well, but I was just hangry for three days. But that started me down the road to fasting on a regular basis. And as I gave myself to this practice, or to be more precise, as I gave myself to Jesus through this practice, I discovered what millions of followers of Jesus outside the West and in church history have long said is true. This is one of the most powerful disciplines for the spiritual life. Now, in all honesty, I kind of look forward to it because through fasting, I experience the Father's promised reward, Jesus himself. So, if you want to offer your body and all that you are to Jesus in love, practice fasting. Circle up as a group. If you have more than 12 people, break into two or more groups. Then have a conversation about the teaching. Here are a few questions for you to get started. First, What did you just learn that was new or provocative to you? Second, what do you expect your greatest challenge will be as you practice fasting? And third, if you can put into one word what you most desire from this practice, what would that word be and why?
Hi, my name is Noelle. When I first started fasting, the most challenging aspect of it was choosing when to fast. As someone who loves to stay active and as someone who has trouble concentrating if they're hungry, I felt that the practice of fasting was at conflict with my daily needs. But over time, I've developed this um, sense of peace on the days that I've chosen to fast. I actually feel this um, spirit-led motivation to fast. Initially, I just started fasting as a, oh, I need to fast. This is something that Jesus did. We read about it in the Bible so much. And so I chose to fast and felt radically transformed by that experience. I felt that um, I connected with God in ways that I had never connected with him before. Choosing to fast um, created this uh, avenue to offer up my body and spirit to Christ. And I didn't have to worry about those needs, like when I would eat my meals or um, if I would need to work out that day. I had this trust that the Lord would give me that energy that I needed. And in times where I felt hungry or if I felt tired or if I felt um, uh, frustrated at all from not eating, I would pray. And and the whole point of fasting is to redirect your attention to God. Um, and, and it truly does that because as soon as your stomach growls, you're like, oh, I'm fasting today. I need to... <laughs> I need to to pray or I need to think about Jesus or I need to talk to God. And it works. Asking God for what you need, it happens. You ask God to feel full and you feel full of the Spirit. It is honestly just a crazy experience of embodiment that I hadn't felt before, even as someone who is really in tune with her body already. As apprentices of Jesus, we believe that information alone does not produce transformation. We need to practice the way of Jesus in community to get Jesus' teachings from our minds into our bodies. Now, fasting is one of the most essential and powerful of all the practices of Jesus and arguably the single most neglected in the modern Western church. So for the fasting practice, each week's exercise is simple. It's to fast as a community until sundown one day a week, focusing your heart on each of the four reasons for fasting that we'll cover in the upcoming sessions. Our exercise for this coming week is to fast one day this week and focus on offering yourself to God. Pick a day that works well for you. Wednesday or Friday ideal if you want to get in touch with Christians around the world and throughout church history. If possible, pick a day to fast together as a community. The aim is to fast until sundown. Then eat a simple meal to conclude your fast. If that's too long, that's all right. Fast until lunch or 3 p.m. Your body will grow accustomed to fasting gradually. We got to crawl before we walk, before we run. Now remember, the goal is to make fasting a part of your regular life. Not to try it once or twice, hate it, and never try it again. So start where you are, not where you feel like you should be. In the time you'd normally go grocery shopping, cooking, or eating, give yourself to prayer. Let your desire for food point you to Jesus as you open yourself to Him. In your dedicated time of prayer, or each time your hunger pains come, you may want to pray Romans 12, or simply, God, I offer my body to you in worship. As you go about your day, your morning commute, caregiving, emails, errands, just enjoy God's company. Open your heart to Him throughout the day. 
Now, two quick notes. First, this may be especially hard if you've never fasted before, if you regularly eat breakfast, if you're used to snacking throughout the day, or if you normally eat a lot of sugar and carbs. You may feel hangry or moody or tired or just find it hard to focus. That will go away in time if you stick with the practice. Your body will adjust and you'll actually start to feel better, not worse. But it can take a bit of practice for your body to recalibrate. Second, if you struggle with an unhealthy relationship with food or disordered eating, the practice for you could be to see a therapist or meet with your pastor to explore what's behind that and begin to move towards healing so that you can practice fasting when the time is right. A few basic tips. Number one, drink tons of water. Number two, if you normally drink coffee to wake up, you may want to still have coffee, but just have it black to avoid a caffeine headache. Your call. Three, the more time you give to prayer and reflection, the less busy you are that day, the better. Attempt to slow down that day and be present to your body and God as much as you possibly can. Remember, resist the urge to judge your experience. Release thoughts like, I liked it or disliked it. I felt close to God or I didn't feel close to God. Just let the experience of fasting be what it is and offer it to God in love. Now, before you begin, you'll need to get a copy of the companion guide for the fasting practice. It's available both as a free digital download and a print-on-demand version, but we recommend the printed version so you can stay away from your phone as you fast and pray. Each week after your fasting day, but before you come back for session two, please take five to ten minutes to fill out the practice reflection in your guide. It's just a short exercise in reflection that will maximize the effect of the practice on your formation. We also have a reach exercise for you every week for those of you with the energy and desire to get the most out of your practice. For week one, try fasting two days, such as Wednesdays and Fridays. Any two days is great, except for the Sabbath, because that is meant to be a day for feasting, not fasting. And for those of you who want to learn more, we have two offerings. First, our recommended reading for the fasting practice is God's Chosen Fast by Arthur Wallace. It's an older book, so bear with the examples, but it's one of the best books we know on fasting. This week, we're reading chapters one through five. You can also listen to episode one of the Rule of Life season three podcast on fasting by practicing the way. But let us close with a blessing over you from 1 Thessalonians 5.23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 